This is the 95th episode of The Word Encounter, and welcome back to join us. Uh, we concluded chapter 20 yesterday in Psalms, so let's pick it up in chapter 21. Uh, let's lead, uh, read the preview here. It says, Praising God after victory. When God answers our prayer for victory, we must quickly and openly thank him for his help. Amen. Verse 1. Lord, the king finds joy in your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him, um, you have given him his heart's desire, and have not de uh, denied the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You place a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life, and you gave it to him. Uh, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your victory. You confer majesty and splendor on him. You give him uh, blessings forever. You cheer him with joy in your presence, for the king relies on the Lord through the uh, faithful love of the Most High. He is not shaken. We see here that David is given, uh, ascribing a lot of this stuff, uh, if not all of it, to God. In other words, it says your victory. It says, you know, you place a, a crown of pure gold on his head. You do this, you do that. It would be very easy for man to take all his credit onto himself and to say, I have done this, I have done that. But David didn't do that. He ascribed everything to God. And in verse 13, it says, be exalted, Lord. In your strength, we will sing and praise your might. And so David is always in a, a position, always in an attitude of thanksgiving. He's, you know, he's always recognizing the blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon his life. He's never uh, uh, excluding the Lord from his victories. He's never um, ignoring the Lord. He's always essentially in the Lord's face. And, um, and it's an awesome uh, position to be in because when you start ascribing yourself or ascribing things and victories or successes or whatever to yourself, uh, then you're putting yourself in the place in, in the, um, uh, or replacing God with what has been occurring in your life, which is a dangerous position to be in. Let's go on to chapter 22. Uh, the subhead says, uh, a prayer that carries us from great suffering to great joy. Despite apparent rejection by his friends and God, David believed that God would lead him out of despair. He looked forward to that future when God would rule over the entire earth. Amen. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. So we see Dave, David, as often as the case, is in a place of despair. Because remember, a lot of the songs were written when he was on the run. He was trying to get away from Saul, trying to get away from Absalom. You know, and so he's writing a lot of these things uh, when in, in despair, probably depression, anxiety, or whatever. And so a lot of these lyrics, because remember these are songs, a lot of these lyrics are coming out of that season, that phase in his life. Let's go on to verse 6. It says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their hands. He relies, um, he relies on the Lord. Let him save him. And so the people were mocking David. They said, look, he relies on the Lord. Let him save him. What people don't realize, a lot of times when they're mocking you because of your faith or, or something like that, they're actually mocking God. They're not mocking you. They're actually mocking God. Again, a very, very, very dangerous position to be in. In verse 15, the word says, my strength is dried up um, like baked clay. 
My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has uh, closed in on me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. I can count all my bones. In other words, it seems like he's, he's like um, had malnourished. <laughs> People look and stare at me. Uh, they divided my garments among, themsel- among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Now, this should sound familiar for those that are familiar with the death of Jesus on the cross. And so David is really being prophetic here because this doesn't come until way, way later when Jesus died. You know, this is hundreds and hundreds of years later. But yet his, his words are prophetic here because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. In verse 19, But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength uh, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life uh, from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. And then David says, You answered me. So obviously the Lord did all of these things that David was looking for. In verse 22, I will will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he is not despised or abhorred uh, the torment of the oppressed. For he has not despised or abhorred the torrent of the oppressed. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm not turning a deaf ear to you. I see and I hear what's going on. I don't despise you. I'm going to be there. And it says he did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. And so sometimes, again, the Lord doesn't answer. You know, the Lord isn't on our timetable. And a lot of times he doesn't answer our cries and whatnot in the time frame that we would like. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean that it, it, it never happens. And so we need to, um, you know, what is the phrase? Uh, justice delayed is not justice denied. Now that applies to justice, but also applies to the Lord, you know. And, and so it's look, prayers delayed or answered prayer delayed, it doesn't mean answered prayer denied or asked prayer denied. And so, you know, he's not. He's not keeping things from us. We don't know the rhymes or the reasons why his timing is the way it is. A lot of times we can ascertain what it is after the fact, after things have been answered. Then we say, oh, now I get why. But when we're going through it, we don't understand. Let's go on to chapter 23. Now, chapter 23 is a very, uh, what is a well-renowned scripture. Um, It's read at a lot of funerals. Uh, I read this uh, at my wife's grandfather's funeral, oh, 16, 17, 18 years ago. And uh, I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version um, because it's the way, it's worded in a way that's familiar to me. And so uh, the subhead for it is, God is seen as a caring shepherd and a dependable guide. We must follow God and obey his commands. He is our only hope for eternal life and security. Chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, Though I walk through the uh, valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Chapter 24. Everything belongs to God, the glorious eternal king. Let us worship him and welcome his glorious ways. And so verse 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. In verse 1, we need to keep this in mind. This is critical because this will set your perspective on life. This will keep you uh, from mentally going into places where you shouldn't go. It says the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. In other words, we don't own anything. At most, we are shepherds for a time. We are stewards for a time over the stuff that we have. But when you die, your house doesn't go with you. You know, if you have cars, when you die, they don't go with you. You know, all this stuff stays. And so we are, we are stewards over the things that we have over our property or whatever uh, for a time. And that's it. We came from dust and we will return to dust. Our bodies, not our spirits. And so uh, we don't own any of this stuff. And if we would uh, remove ourselves from thinking that we own things, then that will resolve a lot of problems. You know, because the sense of ownership is in it and can inspire things like pride and other things. And then we're just in a spiral of destruction. So anyway, uh, verse three. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may st stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. <clears throat> he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of God, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, this is an important question to be answered. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And the question gets answered, you know, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. <laughs> you know, and we know sometimes we're good at faking other people out, but we can't fake ourselves out. We know when our hands are dirty and when our hearts are impure. And we also know when our hands are clean and our hearts are clean. And it says those who have clean heart or clean hands and a pure heart, those are the ones. They're the ones that can ascend the mountain of the Lord. In verse 7, lift up your heads, you gates, uh, lift up your heads, you gates, rise up, ancient doors, then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, rise up, ancient doors, then the king of glory will come in. Uh, who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of armies, he is the king of glory. There are a lot of songs written around that, those verse, that scripture right there, a whole lot of songs. And there are some awesome songs that are written around that, uh, that particular scripture. And it's just because it's like, uh, it's kind of a rhetorical question. Like, okay, who is this king of glory? Well, the Lord strong and mighty. And, and, and so it's um, depending 
you know, on, on the beat and how it's written as far as musically and whatnot, it can really get into your spirit and really amp you up. And so in, in my local congregation, uh, we have a version of it that really gets me going. Anyway, uh, let's go on to uh, chapter 25. And the subtitle says, Dependence on the Lord, a prayer for defense, guidance, and pardon. As we trust God, he grants these same requests for us. First one. Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. I don't know about you, but that really speaks to me. I, you know, in my younger life, uh, I played a lot of sports and uh, I hated, I despised losing. I could not stand losing. And one of the reasons one of the main reasons I couldn't stand losing is because I didn't want my enemies to gloat over me. You know, I didn't want to be disgraced. And so this was a very powerful motivator. And it says, uh, do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. Verse four, no one who waits for you will be disgraced, will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Verse 11. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Who is the person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way he should choose. He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he reveals his covenant to them. And so there are a lot of secrets, you know, a lot of things that aren't answered in this Bible right here. But it says here that for those who fear him, things will be revealed to them. Mysteries will be revealed to them. And so, and, and sometimes that word fear means actual fear. Sometimes that word fear means reverence and awe. And so, uh, and you can kind of all tie them together in a bundle, in my opinion. But uh, it's basically what your attitude is towards God. And so is there a degree of uh, reverence and awe and fearfulness in you with regard to God and his awesomeness? It says, if that's you, then there will be things over time that will be revealed to you. Secrets and mysteries to other people, but will be revealed to you. Let's go on to chapter 26. And it says, uh, this is a prayer of vindication, declaring genuine loyalty to God. And so verse one, vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity and have trusted in the Lord without wavering. So David said, look, I've been going through all this kind of stuff. You know, you chose me. I fought Goliath. I did this. Now I'm on the lamb from Saul. Absalom's after me, my own son. It says, through all of this. I have lived with integrity and trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now, he did have some slip-ups like with Bathsheba, but he says his trust of the Lord never wavered. In verse 2, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind, for your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. So, David, this is, this is, this is kind of a scary thing to do if you think about it. And, and, and so David is, is telling the Lord, look, try me. In other words, test me. Examine my heart and mind. Test me in, in, in the physical sense and then examine me. 
you know, and he says, for your faithful love guides me and I live by your truth. How many of us want to submit ourselves to that test? Verse four, I do not sit with the worthless or associate with hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers and I do not sit with the wicked. So David is saying, look, I separate myself from those people, you know, that aren't down with you. You know, if anybody says, I do this now. And this is a little tricky here because um, when we get into the New Testament, we will see that the Pharisees, they, they had this against Jesus. Uh, they didn't understand why Jesus was spending all his time with, uh, from their perspective, uh, sinners and evildoers. But Jesus told them, he said, look, I came for the sick, not the healthy. And so he came to save the sick, and these are the sick people. So Jesus was with them. And so, but David is saying that he keeps, keeps himself away from them. So, you know, again, this is David writing. David is not God, you know, and so he's just revealing his heart. In verse 11, David says, but I live with integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. I will bless the Lord in the assemblies. In other words, I will not be ashamed to elevate and bless my God before people, before masses. And so let's go on to chapter 27. Uh, the subtitle title says, God is my uh, stronghold. He offers help for today and a hope for the future. Unwavering confidence in God is our antidote for fear and loneliness. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and failed. Though the army uh, deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. So David is saying, look, whatever you got, bring it on, because my strength and my confidence is in the Lord. Verse 4, I have asked for one thing uh, from the Lord. It is that I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Now, why would somebody want to do that? Well, David answers, verse 5, For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high um, above my enemies around me. So David is basically, you know, saying, look, the Lord is my refuge. I want to dwell in your house forever, you know, because you're going to protect me. You're going to, you're going to uh, keep me elevated above my enemies. <clears throat> you know, I do not want to lose that protection. I want to live in that protection. I want to live in that zone. Down in verse 10, it says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. David had absolute confidence in the Lord's paternalness, if there's such a word. And so he, he was sold out to the fact that God was his father. And so it mattered not to him whether or not he was abandoned by his natural parents because the Lord was his collective parent. And so um, that is, you know, th th that is something that a lot of us say, but I don't know that we really comprehend that. I don't know that we really feel that in the core of our existence. Going to chapter 8, or 28, uh, the subtitle says, uh, God is my strength, uh, prayer when surrounded by trouble or wickedness. God is our only real source of safety. Prayer is our best help when trials come our way because it keeps us in communion with God. 
28, verse 1. Lord, I call to you, my rock. I call to you, my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary, do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers who speak uh, in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. Now, now, now see, this is interesting. This, this is just proof to me, further proof, <laughs> that people, the nature of man, the character of man, the nature of man has not changed. The nature of man has been consistent throughout history. Technology changes, processes and ways of doing things and all that, they change. But the nature of man does not change. Now, how many do you know, do you know who do this? It says, do not drag me away with the wicked, uh, with the evildoers who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. You know, people can say stuff to your face. Maybe you've even done it. Said things in people's face and whatnot, but what's in your heart is totally and completely against what's coming out of your mouth. And David is saying, essentially, you know, don't drag me away with those kind of people. I don't want to be in the company of those kind of people. In verse 4, he says, repay them according to what they have done, according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, uh, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I give thanks to him with my song. And so, you know, David is always uh, in appreciation with regard to God. He never does not appreciate the Lord. And so that's the way he lived. He didn't have to conjure it up. He didn't have to phony it up. Let's go on to chapter 29. And the preview says, the voice of the Lord. God reveals his great power in nature. We can trust God to give us both peace and strength to weather the storms of life. In verse 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Verse 3, The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above... Um, the Lord above the vast water, the voice of the Lord in power, the voice of the Lord in splendor, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. In other words, the Lord, with his voice, the Lord breaks down the majestic trees in nature. In verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In other words, the voice of the Lord, the voice, uh, God spoke the, the, the world, spoke the earth into existence. His voice, his voice commands nature. And then it says, uh, in his temple, all cry glory. In other words, almost fall in, 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 in reverent fear because the voice of the Lord, the simple voice is so powerful. And so it's recognition of the, 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 the power of the Lord, the, the majestic nature of God. And in chapter 30, uh, the preview says, uh, joy in the morning, a celebration of God's deliverance. Earthly security is uncertain, but God is always faithful. And it says in verse one, 
I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You you spared me from among those going down to the pit. Verse 4, sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what you are going through. When the morning comes, there's joy in the morning. Now, that could literally be the next morning. Or it may be a season in your life. Your season in your life may be a nighttime period in your life. But beyond that season, there's a joy in the morning that's coming. You know, that season could last a day. It could last a week. It could last months. It could last a few years. Who knows? But there is joy in the morning once you get through. You know, in Psalms 23, it says, he who walks through the shadow of death. It doesn't say you walk in the, uh, in, or excuse me, in the valley of death. It doesn't say you walk and you stay there. It says you walk through it. And so there is joy on the other side. And a lot of times we're wearing a, um, a position of uh, despair, uh, anxiety, depression, or whatever with regard to situations and circumstances that are in our lives that we're trying to navigate and get through. It can just uh, totally and completely hamper us. It can paralyze us. We can be paralyzed in fear. We can be paralyzed with sadness. We can be paralyzed by a lot of these things. But the word says that joy is coming in the morning. We just have to get through it. And the word promises that joy is coming in the morning. In verse 11, it says, you turn my lament into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And with that, we will pick it up in chapter 31 tomorrow. Everybody take care and have a blessed day. Bye-bye.